How wonderful it is to, um, to be in this beautiful church, and I mean that not just the building, but the people, and to be uh, present with you is such a, a special thing for me, and I am uh, so thankful to be in worship with you this morning. I bring greetings from First United Methodist uh, Church. It's the church that I'm privileged to serve in Fort Worth, and I bring greetings uh, from the family of uh, Joy Donovan York. We have, uh, she's a longtime member of your church, and we have her daughters and their families as very active members of our church. I bring greetings from uh, Bishop John Russell and his wife Mary Jean, a former pastor of uh, this church, and they're a part of our congregation as well. And I know they would want me to bring greetings because they dearly love this church and speak uh, very, uh, very highly of, of you all. And so I'm so grateful to be worshiping uh, with you this morning. Also, David uh, Wiggs, thank you for your um, hospitality. And I learned uh, to get, uh, began to get to know David about a year ago at a large, uh, a clergy of large churches gathering that we have, and I look forward to the years to come so we get to know one another better. Uh, you know, sometimes we say that we've known someone all of our lives, and we don't really mean it. We mean that we've known them a long time. Uh, but I have really known Muzon Biggs all of my life. <laughs> I don't know if he would want me to put it this way, but I was born the year he graduated from high school. <clears throat> I mean, just so you know, I'm not nearing retirement just yet. Uh, but our families lived across the street uh, from each other. Our fathers worked uh, for the same company. Uh, his sister and my sister uh, remained very close friends. My mother and his mother were close friends. Uh, his sister and my sister babysat me and spoiled me. And, and they really didn't do me great service because it took a while to get over the fact the world does not revolve around me. But they taught me that it did. But uh, what a wonderful uh, experience and a great uh, family. And it's wonderful uh, to see you, Muzan and Gail. Great to see you all. I uh, read the list of people who've been speakers in this series before. I imagined my own name on that list. And the Sesame Street song came to mind. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> One of these things just doesn't belong. And so I really had that feeling. This, it's wonderful to be in that kind of company and to be sharing with you this morning. So let's, let's get, uh, get to it. I want to read from the Gospel of John. We will be really looking at Paul's fruit of the Spirit from Galatians uh, during this series. But in each of the times together, we'll be looking at some other texts that speak to that particular aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we read from John 15, 8 through 11. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Of course, we're now in the season of Lent. Lent is a time for taking stock of where we are in our spiritual journey, for looking at our own lives in relationship to the life of Jesus and his call on our lives. And so I want to lift up an image in our time together. Uh, it is an image from aviation. I am a private pilot. I, I love uh, 
aviation. I'm, it's a passion of mine. And I think it's an image that perhaps, even if aviation is not a passion of yours, that may speak to you as well. It's, it's a phrase, really, and it's one that you learn on day one of training as a pilot. And that's situational awareness. Situational awareness. So that all the time you know where you are, you know what's going on with the airplane, you know what's going on outside of the airplane in the airspace nearby. Situational awareness. It means you scan constantly. You scan the gauges and the instruments in the plane. You scan the navigational aids. You scan outside of the aircraft uh, at uh, at the horizon to know where the nose is in relation to the horizon, whether you're ascending or descending, and you also scan for other aircraft in the area. So you're always looking inside and outside at what's going on so that you know how the flight is going. And you know if you need to land and refuel, for example. I think it's a good analogy for our lives because I think our task in the season of Lent, in fact, all the time, is this disciplined scanning of our lives. It is looking at the instruments, if you will, the indicators of where we are in our spiritual journey, about how we're doing, whether, it's, we're, whether we're overextending, whether we are running out of fuel, whether we need to land and refuel, whether we're headed in the right direction. These are the kinds of questions that we're asking about our spiritual journey as well. And so I encourage you to think about that image in our time together as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. This is one of the great lists in, in the New Testament. It's found in Galatians. And the Apostle Paul is talking about the Christian life. And he's looking at the life that he would call a fruitful life. A life that is bearing fruit. It's bearing particularly the fruit of the Spirit. And we can think of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit as kind of indicators of where we are in our spiritual journey, where we're headed and what's going on with us, what's going on inside of us and what's going on outside of us in our network of relationships and our community and in our world and our relationship to it. This list is the aspects of, uh, of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can think of these as kind of gauges that can measure where we are. So I want to briefly talk this morning about the first three, love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace. Notice that love is first on Paul's list. I don't know whether the others are in any particular order, but for Paul, love always seems to be first. Faith, hope, love abide these three. The greatest of these is love, Paul said. So it seems to be first for him. And if you think about it, if you're thinking of God or you're thinking of, of Jesus and you want to begin to describe something about them, wouldn't you have to begin with love as the first word? Love, a word that is so often used, and we use it in so many ways. I said it a moment ago, I love aviation, I love flying. Or we can talk about we love a particular food or a soft drink. Uh, love is a word we use in so many different ways, and in English we only have one word for it, and so we need a little help here to narrow down on what the word means for Paul. Someone said if you want to uh, learn the definition of a word, how it's really used, ask children, and they'll tell you. I, I read a piece where they asked children, uh, what is love? 
And some of them were humorous answers. I mean, one, one kid said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and then they go out and smell each other. Yeah. Another kid says, well, love is, is when you kiss all the time and then when you're tired of kissing, you still want to be together. And that's my mommy and daddy. And, and it's really gross when they kiss, the kid wrote. But one kid really got it right. He said, if you want to love better, then play with your friend you never want to play with. He got it right. He understood that love is not just an emotion. In fact, love as Paul uses the word agape, there are four words in Greek, it's much handier for them, they can narrow it down a little bit, but here we're using this word agape and it means an unconditional goodwill. It means always desiring the best for the other, no matter who they are. And so this kid really got it right. If you want to learn to love better, how about trying it out on that person that you don't really like? And that's a challenge, isn't it? And that's why Paul is speaking of love as a fruit of the Spirit. A life that's open to the working of God in that life and committed in a disciplined way to following Jesus. That's really what it takes to love. And it is a challenge. And we learn that love we're able to love in that way because Christ first loved us. We learn that that love originates with God. It originates with Christ And we can love because we have experienced love. And so the question is, when we scan our lives and take a look inside and outside, how are we doing in this area of love? Love is an active word. It is is not just a concept, but it's something we put into action. And so Paul says it should be as obvious in our lives as the fruit on a tree is evident. The second one is joy. The second indicator that we ought to pay attention to is how is it with our joy? I mean, what's going on in us in all circumstances? Do we have a sense of joy? When I think about about joy and the witness that it is and how it was so contagious in the early church, so contagious that people wanted to be a part of what was going on, so contagious that even on the day of Pentecost, people thought that the apostles were drunk because of this sort of rejoicing and what was going on with them. When I think about joy like that, I I think about the power of the witness of it. And I think about when I was a college student, I was serving as an assistant uh, in a in a uh, local church, very part-time. I was a youth director part of the time and kind of assistant to the pastor the rest of the time. There was a pulpit exchange one Sunday. All the pastors in the districts uh, traded pulpits, and there was one pastor, a retired gentleman, uh, very uh, elderly, difficulty hearing, from a small church serving part-time in the country, who switched with our pastor. Now, I mentioned that he's hard of hearing because he had no idea how loud he talked when he whispered. We're sitting facing the congregation, had a split chancel in that church, so there's nothing to hide behind. We're, all, we're sitting right there in front of God and everybody, literally. And he said to me during the quiet, meditative moments of the offertory, you know, this is the sour-faced bunch of people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> well, I didn't know exactly what to do. Everybody heard it, and they looked even more sour after he said it. So I decided in my young naivete to ignore him and pretend I didn't hear him. That was a terrible mistake. (laughs) 
Because he repeated himself. You know, this is the sourest faced bunch of people I've ever seen in my life. And they looked even worse after that. But really, that lack of joy that he saw in the congregation was not much of a witness. But when you get down to it, joy is really not even about that. It's not even about the expression on one's face. It's not the same as happiness. We tend to use it that way. I said earlier, it's a great joy to be here worshiping with you. And I mean it in every sense of the word, but it means I'm happy too. But joy is other than that. Happy, in fact, the word happiness has as its root, Old English word, hap, which means chance. And we use the word in that way too. Something happens. Uh, happenstance. That it's whatever happens, happens, we might say. And happiness is related to that, but joy is not that. Joy is something much deeper than that. The word that Paul uses is kara. It's very similar to that word grace, and they go together. Charis is the word for grace. Joy comes from the sense of being surrounded by the grace of God, the sense that no matter what, you're, you're not alone. God's grace surrounds you, lifts you up, strengthens you. The Apostle Paul learned in all of his difficulties that when he was at his weakest, that's when God's grace came through as strength for him. And so there is this deep joy, even in Paul's very troubled life. When I think about that, I think about the author Anne Douglas Sedgwick, who died in 1935. Her life bore the fruit of of joy. She died of an illness that put her in a terrible state at the end. She was unable to breathe unless she was lying down, unable to eat unless she was sitting up. And in that circumstance, she wrote these words, life is mine and life is beautiful to me. And I have joy, hear it? Joy in knowing that I lie in the hand of God. Now that's joy. A powerful witness. It's not happiness. Sure, she probably had days, even in that state, where she might feel some happiness. But this is not dependent on circumstances. This is a deep joy that goes way deeper than any particular circumstance. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. So how is it when you scan your life and your network of relationships, inside and out, how is it with your joy and the witness that that joy brings to others? And then, and then there's peace. Peace. Peace is something that we desire, isn't it? And often when we talk about wanting peace, what we really mean is we want everything to be great. We, we don't want any problems. Uh, sometimes we mean we want to be left alone. Uh, give me some peace and quiet, we say. <laughs> Leave me alone. But that's not what peace is. As the fruit of the Spirit, when Paul talks about peace, Paul is using the word Irene. It's, it's the, the name Irene comes from this word. Uh, peace. It's the word that's used to translate that wonderful Hebrew word shalom. It is, it is this comprehensive wholeness, this, this meaning and purpose bundled up in one's life. And the thing about this peace is it's not dependent on being left alone and it certainly is not a life without trouble. Shalom, wholeness, peace is something that comes, can come in any circumstance. And it's not dependent on what is going on around you, just as joy isn't either. And just as love isn't dependent on how that other person may be treating us. So when we look at the scan of our lives, we're looking inside and out. How is it with this sense of wholeness, this sense of peace 
that I have? And is that evident in my life in that the peace that I experience, that's peace that begins with me, but as the song says, it is peace that goes beyond me to the earth. Uh, It goes beyond me to my community and to my family. It is a peace that brings uh, reconciliation where there is division and brokenness. But it begins with this peace that is the fruit of the Spirit. When I think about that, I think about a life that, um, that evidences that peace. It is a person whose life, in whose life I have seen uh, the fruit of the Spirit. His name is Charles. I met Charles in Kenya on one of our mission trips. We do some work in Kenya with 250 orphans, mostly orphaned from AIDS. We provide school uniforms for them because you can't go to school in Kenya without a uniform. We provide shoes and backpacks. We've provided beds because the kids were sleeping on the ground. We've done all those sorts of things for these 250 orphans in partnership with the Methodist Church of Kenya. And it's been a wonderful program. We were there conducting a vacation Bible school as part of our work in that area. The older kids, the youth, were helping with Bible school. Charles was one of those. Charles had come up for the last couple of years in, uh, in the program. Now he was one of the helpers. I was standing strumming guitar uh, in one of our breaks, and Charles came up and asked me if I knew a particular song. It was a song I'd heard years before and didn't really remember it very well. And Charles wanted to sing it. But before we sang, he told me his story. And after I heard his story, I understood the words of the song in a way I never had and understood why he sang it the way he did. When Charles was 11, Charles was orphaned by AIDS. Both of his parents died in uh, time-wise very close uh, to each other. He went to live with his grandmother and there was an uncle who was jealous of him, afraid that Charles, this 11-year-old kid, would get part of his inheritance when the grandmother passed away. And so she did when she died. He kicked Charles out of the house at 11, out of the place where they were living so that he would hide in the woods during the day and he would sleep in the outhouse at night, alone and, and afraid and not knowing what the future would, withhold and in, would hold. And in darkness, can you imagine? He said that he had heard about God, but his family was, had nothing really to do with, with God or religion or anything like that. And so in that, in that dire situation, he prayed He talked to God. He said, God, I don't know you. I've heard of you. If you exist, I need your help. And he had that experience. You know the experience? Not not a voice exactly, but, but this strong feeling or impression or thought came into his mind, almost like an audible voice that said, it will be okay. You're not alone. I am with you. And, and I have a future for you. Well, he wound up living in the home of a woman who took him in. She was a member of the Methodist Church, became involved in this program. That's how Charles came to be a part of this program. And now Charles is enrolled in college. He wants to be a doctor. He wants to help people. And a couple in our congregation are paying for Charles' education. The song, by the way, that he brought to me is, is a beautiful song and one that really has meaning for Charles. And I'll never forget watching him sing it, the look on his face, the love and the joy and the peace that really goes way beyond his circumstances. 
God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. And he sang it with such passion. And he said to me, God did make a way. And God made the way through your church. 